our theme. Today we launch our theme. Today, if you're new with us or the first time in a long time, as Pastor Laura said, welcome home. My name's Lance. I'm the pastor here. I, I want to tell you, I'm so excited about this date. I'm so excited about this date because I really believe it's the fulfillment of what God really calls us to do as pastors, which is to declare vision where God's leading us as a church. It's interesting. The book of Proverbs actually says this in uh, chapter 29. It says, uh, many of you are familiar with it, in fact, in 29.18, that says, without vision, the people what? Die. They perish or they die. Without vision, without clear vision, they die. I love how the message translation of the Bible puts it. It says it this way. It says, if my people can't see what God is doing, they'll stumble all over themselves, but when they attend to what he reveals, they will be most blessed. My, my heart's desire is that you, this next 52 weeks, wouldn't stumble all over yourself, wouldn't find yourself running into walls. In fact, there's actually a, a really amazing uh, translation in the Hebrew, in the original language of that Proverbs passage. It says, without, without a clear direction or a clear vision, people make stuff up. It's amazing, isn't it, how often that happens when we don't necessarily know what God's saying. What do most people do? We just start making stuff up. That's to me where cults come from, man. They don't know exactly what God said, so they just start making stuff up. My hope is, is that you won't have to make stuff up. That over this next 52 weeks, as we declare vision and direction today, that you'll be able to go, oh, that, that is where we're going. That, then I'm on board. I can tell you that after you hear the mission and the vision of our church, maybe today you'll say to yourself, wow, I'm in the wrong place. This isn't my people. If that's the case, will you come see me so I can help you find the right church? Because there's a church out there that you belong to that you're to fulfill the mission for. If you call this church, however, your home, then I want you to engage in the mission and understand the vision so that we can all link together and move forward. Amen? Before I declare what our theme is for the year, let me remind you real quickly of what our mission is as a church. Here at Puget Sound Foursquare, our heart's desire is to send loved, mended, and trained people out. Say that with me. What's our mission? To send loved, mended, and trained people out. Listen, I want to send you to your schools. I want to send you to your college campuses. I want to send you to your neighborhoods. I want to send to your neighbors. I want to send you to your living room. I want to send you across the nation. I want to send you around the world. I believe God's called us to fulfill this Matthew 28, go into all the world, great commission. And he's called each of us to do that. My desire is to help equip and to train you so that you can go. Now, now listen, many, many of you have come here to Puget Sound Foursquare Church, and maybe you find yourself in that moment where you're being loved and mended. And can I just say to you, I'm so glad you're here. If that's you in the loving and mending process, can I just tell you, good for you, get healed up. Continue to let yourself get mended by both God and what he does through other people around you, loved and mended. Uh, but, but let me share with you what my friend Carol told me just the other day as we were together. She said, Lance, there's some people in our church who've been loved and mended long enough. I'm going to paraphrase what you told me, but she basically said this. It's now time to leave the hospital, and it's time to enter the classroom or training center. Some of you today are going to enter into the classroom, 
as we enter into our theme. And this theme to you is going to be in the sense of like, that's it. That's the classroom. That's the training center. Now, you may not have all the, all the bruises and owies healed up in your life, but you know you're ready to receive your marching orders. And if that's you today, man, I'm so glad. Be ready. So before I tell you our theme, can we just pray this morning for God to prepare our hearts? Lord, this morning as we, as we really, I think, walk out this thing that you're calling us to as a church, Lord, that we would be prepared to receive not just a word or a, a, something to prop us up to give us 52 weeks worth of sermons, but Lord, that we would be people who would say, that's it, that's our orders, that's the, that's the direction we're to march. Lord, I pray that you would equip us. I pray that you would continue mending and healing us. God, have your way today. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme this year is one word, reawaken. Reawaken. Man, I believe with all my heart that God is wanting to reawaken something in some of us. In fact, I think he wants to reawaken something in all of us. So many of us come with hurts or wounds or or a, a stubbed toe or a twisted ankle. And I feel like God is saying, listen, it's time, it's time to be reawakened to something in your life that you thought was dead. I believe with all my heart that as you begin to walk out this theme this year, you're going to see something that you have said, you know what, this isn't only on the back burner of my life, this is something that's died. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe something in your life that you thought was dead and gone was that dream that you had of that ministry that one day you'd walk in and you have since said, no, I'm beyond that window of opportunity. Maybe you said to yourself, you know, my kids, I had such hope for my kids. I prayed, I taught, I walked, and all of them or some of them or one of them has walked so far away from you, God, it's almost as if they are spiritually dead. And you've said that. I just want to tell you that God, I believe with all my heart, to not stop believing that God's got the ability to reawaken some dreams. That God's got the ability to re-enliven your marriage. God has the ability to take that which isn't and make it what is. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm going to start preaching. I'm telling you there's something I believe God wants to do to reawaken something in some of us that we have, lied, have allowed to lie dormant. And there are some who began to believe, some whom began to believe what Thomas Edison's teacher believed, was that there's no hope. Let me tell you who didn't believe that was his mama. This mama said, I see a genius. This mama said, come to life. God wants to make some of your marriages come back to life. God wants to make, he wants to make all of your marriages come back to life. God, I'm telling you, some of you have had businesses that you started and you thought you lost it and you thought you blew it and you, you sold the farm to get into that new thing and it didn't work out and you feel like, I don't know. And maybe God wants to reawaken something in you to bring you to either reawakening that thing or to maybe redefine what it is that he wants you to be and walk that thing out. You hang on this next 52 weeks and watch God begin to do that in your very lives. Two of your Bibles, open it up to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to read this passage and then I'll set the context for you. Ezekiel chapter 37 verse 1 says this. 
I'm going to read in the NIV, so if it's not up there, then uh, listen to this instead. NIV. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among the bones. I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, the bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, only you know. Then he said, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied and I commanded as as I was commanded and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and I saw tendons and flesh appear on them and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath or to the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to, say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds, breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and breath entered into them. They came to life, it stood up on their feet, a vast army. Hmm. The book of Ezekiel was written 790 some odd B.C., in the process of this whole journey that Ezekiel actually began to come to life with him, Ezekiel was a, was a prophet that was given by the Lord to the nation of Israel, and on his 30th birthday, he got a vision from God. Listen to this, the Babylonian Empire at the time, they were the big evil guys, they came in and they, in their first captivity, they came into Israel to Jerusalem and began to ransack Jerusalem and said, listen, we're going to take you over. The Assyrians had just done a bunch of beating up on them years before that, so the Babylonians came in and took over and they basically said this, uh, Jerusalem will allow you to remain a nation as long as you do it our way. And so to ensure that the Babylonian way would be followed in Jerusalem, the Babylonians took 10,000 of the sharpest, wisest, wealthiest, most handsome, religious, most pretty, whatever it was. They took all the best of the best of the best, however you define that. They took 10,000 of the around 60,000 to, to exile in Babylon. They just took them out of the city. And what they left behind was a bunch of people with no leadership, with, with no discernible uh, how to do what, so that they would all become Babylonians in essence. So Babylon took over Jerusalem and made it into what's called a vassal state. They basically said, hey, do it our way. Well, a couple of years passed. So, so, so that, that first exile, that included the Daniels, the Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all that stuff, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. They all got taken over into Babylon. So as they were into Babylon, it's interesting, as they were in Babylon, Ezekiel sitting on the banks of a canal, basically in the Babylonian refugee camp, Exile, he's sitting in there, he gets a vision from God. God began to say, while, while Ezekiel was in captivity, I love my people. Though they've messed up, I love them desperately, and I want to show you how they can find a way of restoration. 
Can I tell you that, I don't know, maybe you're, as a parent, can I tell you the goal of any good parent is to always be in relationship with their kids? In fact, I really believe the goal of biblical discipline is to restore broken relationship. Biblical discipline is all about getting relationship right. That's why there needed to be discipline. God allowed some of the discipline to happen because if we, if we backed up the story a little bit, we would see how far Israel had fallen from God's plan. God said in Deuteronomy, do it my way and you'll be blessed. Don't do it my way and you'll, you'll incur cursing. It won't go well for you. So literally, God says, as you march this thing out called life, and what happened with the children of Israel was they basically thumbed their nose at God and said, your way's too hard. It's too hard to walk with you, God, so we're going to do it our way. And in came the Babylonian Empire. Ezekiel gets this message from God of hope to say, tell them though they are, they are not doing it my way, I want them to do it my way. Well, as time went on, a few years passed, the, the ones who were left behind, the 50,000 who were left behind in Jerusalem decided that they were tired of doing it the Babylonian way and rose up and tried to fight off against the Babylonians. Well, it didn't work. The Babylonians just squished them. In fact, what they did, the Babylonians came in and took the rest of the 50,000 remaining Israelites and took them all off into exile so there was no one in the land. It literally, the Bible says, for 70 years laid barren. There was nothing. They destroyed the temple, the place of worship. They did, it just absolutely ransacked the place and took an entire nation and put them on into what we call exile. It was known as the Great Exile. The Babylonians took them all. They tried to redefine them, tried to remarry them, tried to re-enculturate them, tried to re-religify them, if you will, show them other gods, marry false people. I mean, this tried to really mess with the nation of Israel. Hmm. It's within the context of that exile that Ezekiel writes this story. A message of hope to a group of people that thought that they had lost it all. The message, a message of hope to people who had a dream as far as they knew had died. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you've had something in your life that was a dream to you. Maybe it was something that you thought was going so well. And then maybe somewhere in your life you said, God, but your way is too hard. And, and, you know, most of us don't necessarily say that out loud. We just kind of let it show up in our hands and feet. We start to walk out ways that aren't God's ways. And before you know it, we look around and we see our, our marriages aren't what they should have been. And our, our, our jobs aren't producing what they could. And our kids have hung a left in life. And that which we thought was so alive and so filled with promise and so declaratively filled with purpose turned around and saw that it had all been lost. Maybe that's like you. Maybe what the Israelites felt in exile was the sense of shame, the sense of lonely, the sense of God is mad at me. I don't know where you find yourself today, but maybe that's where you find yourself this morning. And you're saying to yourself, like, is that, is that what I've become? I'm here to tell you this morning the message that Ezekiel gave to these children of Israel who were hopeless, who were lifeless, and in a lot of ways dreamless. That God is saying to you, there is a hope. What you thought was dead could be brought back to life. What you thought was impossible with God is possible. What you thought was relegated to, uh, that was a window of opportunity that God is saying, it's not too late. I got something for you. Hmm. 
It's interesting. Over in chapter 36, just before this, just before chapter 37 that I read to you, listen to what it says. Ezekiel starts to write this in 36. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities, from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land that I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. You will save, you, you will, you will, I will save you from your uncleanness. I will call you, I will call forth the grain and make plentiful and it will, it will not, uh, and I will not bring famine upon you. Over this next 52 weeks, my hope is to begin to unpack and to begin to really reimagine what it is that God has for us as a church. I think, honestly, this is a word to the nation that we live in. I think this is a, a word to the church in America. I think God wants to reawaken us. I think God, there's this moment in 36, chapter 36, where God is saying to America, listen, God loves you. God has a plan to take away the stony heart and give you a flesh heart. He wants to reawaken life within you. And I think because we're here in America, this is a message for us that God wants to reawaken something that we, we once were established upon. One God, one Lord, one Savior, one creator of heaven and earth, the biblical God and the understanding of who he is. Can somebody say amen? amen. And I believe that's going to start with a bunch of people sitting here in South Tacoma as we begin this journey of seeing that God is able and that God still wants to bring back to life that thing that we thought was dead. Hmm. To be restored and be brought back to life. Let me tell you three things I think need to happen. And again, this is just the beginning. And if you want to hear more, please keep coming back. There's so much more. But for today, to be restored back to life, one of the first things I wrote here, to be restored back to life, God has to bring us oftentimes into a valley. God has to bring us into a valley. Ezekiel 37.1, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. Valleys are terrible. Valleys are hard. By the way, valleys are where battles are fought. I don't know if you knew that or not, but battles were, battles were fought most often in valleys. That's where David uh, dealt with Goliath. That's where God showed up in the book of Psalm 23. Over and over again, battles were often fought there. Now, it was the worst place to be in a battle was to be in a valley because you want to be on the high side so you can shoot or throw or beat down someone in the valley. But valleys were often the places that people fought. Valleys are a lonely place. They're a dry place. Valleys are a humble place. Valleys are a vulnerable place. It's amazing to me how oftentimes God will bring us into a valley in order for us to finally be able to be brought back to life. I think before anything could ever happen of being reawakened, we got to get to the place where we realize that we've been in a valley. I mean, I've never heard of somebody who had a horrible thing happen in their life and all, the, all the, the things that they thought were fell apart. And at the end of the day, they said, man, everything I thought was supposed to go this way didn't go that way. And it's amazing because I ended up on top of the mountain as a result of everything falling apart. <laughs> no, they end up in a valley when everything falls apart. Maybe that's where you are today. Can I tell you, welcome home. If you find yourself in a valley and you finally realize that you don't even know where to turn, you feel like you're surrounded on all sides. 
You're normal. But to me, I don't think it's the end. I think it's the beginning. I think the Valley of Dry Bones wasn't the end at all. The Valley of Dry Bones was a picture of the beginning. The problem is, is nobody comes to the Valley of Dry Bones and says, wow, what promise lies here? Most people show up to a valley. You know what they say? What in the world happened here? What army was destroyed here? Maybe you find yourself in that valley even this morning. That valley where you feel like you're all alone. You feel vulnerable. You feel like there's no way out. And you feel like more than anything else, you just want to cover yourself in a valley because you're afraid of getting exposed and hurt. Can I tell you, it's in the place of the valley that you can finally be vulnerable because there's no lower you can be. Maybe the place for you is to finally expose all of the things. Because let me tell you this, this is the principle that lies true in all that we are. Whatever we cover, God will uncover. But whatever we uncover, God will cover. And maybe we found ourselves trying to cover and hide and be about and try to hold back. And let me tell you this, when you get into a valley, there's nothing to protect because you're just vulnerable. But it's in the place of the valley that life can begin. It's the place of the valley that you might find yourself today feeling as if there's no hope for your marriage. Feeling like you just, it was, there was a day of promise, but now it's not. Maybe there's no hope for your kids. You feel like there's no hope for the relationship between you and your dad. Let me tell you this, you might see it today and it looks like it's dead and in a valley. Good. Now we can watch what God can do. Because too often we, we're, we're so weird when it comes to life. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. And you? I'm wonderful, thanks. And you? Let me tell you this. When we finally realize that God has brought us to a valley and it just stinks. Like it says in the Bible, it just sucketh. It's actually a city in the Bible. Look it up. It just stinks. Someone's looking it up. Sucketh, really? Yeah, it's in there. It's actually pronounced Sukkot, but I like sucketh better. There you go. Come on. Because you've been in a valley, you know it's not Sukkot, it sucketh, right? <laughs> Somebody, come on, amen, there you go. To be restored back to life, we've got to recognize we're in a valley. To be restored back to life, we've got to recognize that we're in a valley. To be restored back to life, we've got to recognize where we've ended up. To be restored back to health in our marriages. To be restored back to that place financially. To be restored back to the place of the dream that God had given you. we got to realize that we ended up in a valley and stop pretending that everything's okay. And stop trying to communicate to everyone around us that we're just fine. It's okay to not be okay. Because today you might find yourself in a valley and allow God to meet you there. Number two, to be restored back to life, you need to take a look at the dry bones. You need to take a look at the dry bones. And over the next several weeks, I want to take some time to unpack what those bones look like. I want to take a little bit of time to to begin to explore a little bit about why in the world he used the imagery of bones to communicate a, a bringing back to life. I mean, this is the God who created everything from nothing. This is the God who created us from dirt. This is the, why did he bring the, this picture back to bones? Why didn't he bring that picture back to just a dry, arid desert floor? He brought it back to bones. Be, why? I think God brought, I think literally God brought Ezekiel back to bones because bones are that which things are built upon. 
I think it's an infrastructure. I think it's a belief system. I think there's something there that I want to begin to unpack over the next several weeks to say, what is it that we've been believing? What is it that we've been standing upon and calling true? I think God wants to go and, quite frankly, unpack some of that which we've been building our life upon and then reestablish it on those bones. The new girders of life, the new truth that we're supposed to begin to walk in. And watch God begin to build anew. He could start from scratch. But God is a God of restoration. Hmm. We need to take a look at the bones. Ezekiel 37, 1 and 2. Hand of the Lord was upon me, brought me out into the spirit, into the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Verse 2 says, He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor, the valley floor. The bones were very dry. Everyone say very dry. Very dry. What's he trying to say? that they were very dead, that they weren't kind of (laughs) okay. You know what bones represent? Bones represent that, that one day before this day, it was different. Bones tell us that there was something that was at one point kicking and screaming and alive, and in this case, fighting, fighting for something. Bones tell us a lot. Bones tell us about the fact that there was a day that was better in the past. Sometimes bones are depressing. Bones are depressing. There aren't many people that look at people, that look at bones and say, wow, I see potential here. They look at bones and they say, wow, what carnage happened here. It's amazing to me how God takes Ezekiel and says, look at the bones. In fact, he says, he made me pass over the bones and I've been doing a lot of just digging around in the Bible and trying to figure out in the original Hebrew, like, what did he mean, walk around among the bones? Now, now remember, Ezekiel was a priest, and priests had this crazy law that they couldn't touch any dead thing or they would be defiled. And it's amazing to me that God takes this 30-year-old priest, and why is it important that he's 30? 30 was when a priest was enlisted into ministry in the temple. Keep in mind, Ezekiel turns 30 while he's on the shores of the river In exile, he turns 30. He's now equipped to be a priest in the house of God, which no longer exists. And he says, now you're starting your ministry. All the hope and promise that he thought could be was no longer. And God says, let me take you among the bones. Let me take you among the bones. The actual Hebrew says to walk among them. Why is it important that you walk among the bones? Why is it important that you recognize that something that once was is no longer? Don't overthink it. I can tell you this. God wants us to walk along the bones and recognize what happened in our marriage, what happened in that job, what happened in that financial thought you had of doing this and it blew up, what happened with your child that you thought you did everything right for, what happened with that situation, that ministry that you thought you launched out into and it all collapsed. He says, you know what I think he says? He says, take a look at the bones, man. Don't ignore it. Don't pretend it didn't happen. Take a look at the bones. Walk among them and see where mistakes were made. See where you veered off course. See what it is that you've become. Maybe you've had a dream or a passion and you feel like it's gone. Seems to me that in order for something to live, it has to be completely dead. 
I think some of us are still hanging on to something that's still, that's still twitching. It's still kind of twitching. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that maybe it just needs to die? Maybe it needs to die so it can be brought back to life God's way. When I mean that, I don't mean your marriage needs to die. I mean that thing that you've been hanging on to that keeps on saying, I'm right and she's wrong. And I'm going to hang on to this thing that I believe in. And maybe that just needs to die so that it can finally be brought to the valley and it can finally be brought to life. Maybe that place where you're like, you know what, I'm going to hang on tight and, and I'm going to go ahead and I have no money to keep that thing alive, but I'm going to get a loan, a big interest loan, because I can get a big interest loan for this, but it'll get us over the hump and we're going to make this thing work regardless. And we force ourselves into this crazy upside down place. I don't know, maybe it just needs to die. Maybe it needs to get to the place where you finally say, God, I can't fix it myself. And we've got to look at the bones and see what happened, how we got here, what it's going to take to bring this thing back to life. Hmm. Number three, how do we restore, restore back to life? Number three, we need to see it with God's eyes. We need to see this thing the way God sees this thing. Ezekiel 37, 2 says this, He led me back and forth among the bones. I saw a great many bones on the floor. In fact, the bones were very dry. In verse 3, then he asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? Can these bones live? That's such a weird question because there's no one before. There was no precedent set. There was no place at which Ezekiel could have said, Hmm, you know what? I've seen something like this before, God. I think you're able. I think you can make this dead thing live. Like there was no precedent before this moment where he was able to take bones, put sinew and muscles and skin and everything and bring it back to life. There was no precedent. He says, he says can these bones live? I, I love Ezekiel's response because it's so religious. It's so, to me, honestly, it expre- to me, this doesn't express, his, I don't want to diminish his prophetness because he was one of the great prophets and I think he's amazing. He had way more faith than most of us ever will ever have. But this moment, I think he exposed with us his very humanity. Well, can these bones live? And I love his answer. Uh, you know. <laughs> Translation, no, they can't live. Are you kidding me? God, they're dead. In fact, they're very dead. There's no way this thing's going to work out, God. Come on, who's kidding who? And his answer was like, well, you know, God. If we, we would say, right, God, can God heal this scenario in my life? Can God fix our, our this or tra- change that thing? And, and most of us, I think, as Christians would say, God can do anything. Translation, I don't believe it. If he wants to, he'll fix it. I just wonder sometimes if that's what, what we read here. I don't really believe it, God, but you know what? I guess you could if you want. Be nice if you did. I'm always amazed when I read this passage of the Valley of Dry Bones at how much God required Ezekiel to impart. Like, why did he bother enlisting a dude in the middle of this thing? If God's whole plan was like doing something big, then God would have just said, hey, you know what? They're dead. They're in captivity. Let them get spanked and I'll bring them back. That's not what he did. He said, listen, they're in captivity. They are far gone. They are lost. They need to see what's going on. I want to speak to them a word of a hope. That it's not the end. It's the beginning. I love this. We need to see things God's way. God doesn't see this moment as being this last ditch moment in time. God doesn't see your marriage and says, you know what? It was really good then, but now you're stuck with it. 
God doesn't see your financial situation and say, wow, you've really gotten yourself upside down. I guess that's how it's going to be. God doesn't look at it that way. He says, you know what? Financial peace is coming. Be a part of that because there is a hope. He's saying there's some amazing counseling out there for your marriage and watch me do some amazing things. God's saying your kids might be far gone. Don't get off your knees, ma'am. Just keep on praying, mama. You keep on living in that way out in front of them, daddy. Listen, you walk this thing right. I love that God doesn't stop and say, you know what? I'll just do this for you because what good parent does that? It was interesting. My, uh, my wife got an email last night of, uh, it's kind of a, I'm going to level with you. As a dad from uh, long, <laughs> as a dad whose kids are all out of our house, I'm going to level with you. I think, I think the schools are cheating when it comes to fundraising now. Let me tell you why. My wife got an email last night from somebody whose kid is in school asking for money to raise for their kid's playground equipment. And I was like, what? We used to have to knock on doors and get rejected. <laughs> Come on, everyone needs a good rejection as a child. We've removed rejection from our children. No, it's kind of being funny. But it was like, I remember thinking, like, that's cheating. <laughs> Let the kid knock on a door. Let the kid send the email. I bet it was funny, right? How, how... Let me tell you this. God wants to enlist this process of healing and restoration you. He wants us to be a part of this restoration narrative. I don't know why. I just think he's a really, really good dad. And good dads walk up to the door as Junior rings the doorbell and says, would you like to buy some popcorn? Would you like to buy a Christmas decoration for your tree and Christmas wrap? And every person's going like, no, I don't. But I'll do it for you because you can buy a new whatever for your playground. That's exactly what God did. God says, listen, you've been in exile. You're upside down. You're a mess. But listen, I want to join you in the process of this restoration. Take a look again at the bones and see it the way I see it. It's not over with. It's not over with. Your marriage can live again. Your finances can be made right. The relationship with your parent can be healed. Your child can come back to life. I feel like this morning, that's a question I just want to ask you this morning. Child of God, can these bones live again? Can they live again? This place in your life that you have said was a foregone conclusion, and it'll never it's over with, and we're relegated to living life this way. Is that way it's going to be? My question for you this morning is, child of God, can it live? Can it live again? Can this be brought back to a healthy place? Can it live? Can your marriage be made better than it was before? You know, you've heard it said before. I'm not a medical person, but you know, they say that when a bone's broken and it gets healed again, that it's actually stronger at the break. Can it be brought back to life? Can it live again? My question for you this morning is, can it live again? Do you believe it can live again? And I don't think it depends on whether you think it can. I just want you to know that, child of God, it can live again. Because eventually you're going to speak to this thing. We're not waiting for Ezekiel to show up. You are Ezekiel. And you will speak to that thing if you want it to live again. Thomas Edison's mom picked up the note. She knew what it said. 
She knew it said that your child's slow and he can't learn here. But she spoke to the wind. She spoke to the truth. She said, my son is a genius and he will live. Child of God, can it live? Can it live? Jesus, this morning we come. Every one of us at some point this year is going to be confronted, if not this very day, with the question, Son of God, daughter of God, can your thing live? Every one of us is going to be confronted with answering the question, can it live? And God, far be it from us to be more, uh, I don't know, somehow smarter than when we think. God, the truth of the matter is every one of us is human and it feels like it's impossible. And right now, as you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, maybe somebody's here this morning and they're saying, can it live? And you're like, no, it can't live. This thing is a wreck. God, let me tell you this. God's not interested in giving you a plan B. He's interested in restoring your plan A. He wants to bring that thing. Can it live? Oh, it can live. It can live. Right now, in your mind's eye, I want you to take that dream. I want you to take that situation, that marriage, your job, your child, your your, your, your memories, whatever it is that you feel in your heart that is, has, has been relegated to dry bones. And I want you to just hold them in your hand on your lap as if you're just holding this, this baby saying, I, I, I've got this thing here, God, but it's dead. There's no way I can see it living. I don't know how it's going to live, but God, you can. So I say this morning, as you hold this thing in your hands, child of God, can it live? Jesus, I pray that you would help us to trust you like Ezekiel trusted you. As we walk among the bones, as we begin to declare truth, God, that we would be able to say it can live. It can live. It can live. Like Mrs. Edison said, my son's a genius. In Jesus' name. Amen.